You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. My favorite subject from elementary school through college was math. My least favorite subject was history. In fact, I disliked history so much that I took it twice in college because I forgot that I had taken it my freshman year. Western Sib, this is a true story. Got to the end of that, uh, my college, and I knew I had three extra hours. And back then, in 1986, where I went to school, it's like Cedarville. It was University of Mobile, but the cost was kind of the same. So back then, it was like $98 an hour. Now, you do the math on that. On a three-hour course, that was like $300. So I didn't really enjoy spending that, but that's the kind of the way I felt about history. But from time to time, I read someone's blog or a book on American history because I believe our nation's founding and birth is not only one of the most fascinating stories in all of history, I believe our nation's founding has the fingerprints of the providence of God. No nation in the history of this planet has a more fascinating history than the nation of Israel. To give you the Reader's Digest version, God called a man by the name of Abraham who was somewhat of a pagan living in a pagan country to follow him to a land that he had never seen and leave the people he had always known. He, He then made a promise to Abraham that was so incredulous, Abraham himself even laughed at God, which was to make Abraham a great nation. It would be so great that this nation would be a blessing to every other nation that would ever exist. What was funny at the time of this promise, if you remember, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were almost a hundred years old. You know, God kept his promise. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons who went to become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons, Joseph, is sold into slavery by his 11 jealous brothers. And he is taken to Egypt where he becomes, in the providence of God, the prime minister of the nation. Eventually, he brings all of his family to Egypt. All is forgiven and forgotten. He's a lot better brother than I would have been to mine. But at this point, there is still no nation of Israel. He is the right-hand man of Pharaoh, and as long as they were both alive, all is good. But they both die. Eventually, another Pharaoh rises to power who doesn't know Joseph, has never heard of Abraham, but the one thing he does know is that Joseph's family has multiplied like rabbits 
And there are now about 600,000 men alone, not counting the women and the children. And they are alarmed that they will take over his nation. So he enslaves them and orders all of the firstborn males, if you remember, killed so the birth rate will stop and they can be controlled. Well, one Hebrew baby is spared. Remember his name? Moses. God, we're going to talk about him next week as we enter this ser- uh, finish this series. God raises Moses up and anoints him and empowers him to be the deliverer of these people. Think about that. That was enslaved for all of these 400 years. And I mean, it's not going to be an easy task. But God anoints Moses. These people have long ago forgotten the God of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have lost all hope that they will ever be freed. They are under the thumb of the most powerful nation with the most powerful army in the world and with apparently no way to escape and no way of even propagating their own race, they appear to be out of options. Well, today is part three of our series entitled Zero Options. Because there are times in our lives when we think we have no more options. We think there is no choice but to, as I said last week, but to cheat to take the wrong path, to make the wrong decision, to compromise our convictions, to go along just to get along, and to even give up on God. We have examined real-life situations of people who, by all accounts and all appearances, were out of options. But we learned last week, with God, there is always an option. And this brings us to what to this day, to me, is to the nation of Israel, one of the two greatest events in their history. Turn to Exodus 12, or you can follow there uh, on the screen. And what we're about to read was so critical to this nation, very much so, it's making this day the beginning Uh, And you're going to see in a moment so critical that God even even changed the calendar. Now think about it. He changed the calendar, making this day the beginning of Israel's religious year. It will become the basis of one of the greatest celebrations the nation observes to this day called Passover. Even more importantly, it is the clearest picture of of redemption in the entire Old Testament. Redeemed, as you know, means to be bought back at a price. And we're going to learn today that no one, no one is beyond God's redemption and God's forgiveness. Do you believe that this morning? What we're reading in this chapter is both the birth of a nation and a night in the freedom of a nation in a day after 400 years in bondage. And we're going to learn something today about what we need to remember when we are out of options and we think there is no way out. 
Listen, with God, there is always a way out. But his way is the only way. I don't know, but maybe you're in bondage to something today. It could be pornography, drugs, alcohol, bitterness, lust, or anger, or whatever. I'm telling you, there is freedom awaiting you today. There is a way out if you will learn these three incredibly practical three lessons. Lesson number one, accept God's direction. Tonight is the night after 400 years of making bricks out of straw, of being ordered around, told when to get up, when to go to bed, what to eat, when to eat, 400 years of slavery. The Declaration of Independence is about to be signed. They are about to become a free people. Here are the directions that God gives to Moses to give to the Israelites in verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for a household. Now stop right there. Can you imagine what Moses was feeling at this moment? The Israelites are in slavery and bondage to the most powerful king and the most powerful kingdom on earth. Well, God has a plan. What is the plan? How is God going to deliver them? Is he going to wipe out the Egyptians with a wave of his hand? Will he send a legion of angels to just destroy them all? Are you ready for this? He is going to use a lamb and not a lion. Hear that. But a lamb, which is the most gentle, meek, and defenseless of all the creatures on earth. He is going to use an animal with no fangs or claws, an animal that cannot even outrun those that would eat it. All a lamb is fit for is going to the slaughter. Do you know what I think that Moses really wanted to say to God at that very moment? And I'm going to take some of you back to a song by Paul Simon. I think he wanted to say something like this. Can you make a new plan stand? Can you slip out the back, Jack? Can I get off the bus, Gus? Can you just drop off the key leave and set us all free? But no, he had the plan, Stan, and it was a lamb. Oh, and not just any lamb would do. Listen, the lamb had to be as perfect of a lamb as it could be. Look at verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. If there was any flaw in this lamb whatsoever, it would be disqualified. It couldn't be blind. It couldn't have a broken nose. It couldn't have a, a broken hoof. It couldn't even have a crooked nose or scars 
And its wool had to be completely, totally white. So the priests in Israel would carefully examine the lambs that would be considered later on for sacrifice. They would look even inside the lamb's mouth. They would examine the eyelids and ears for any sign of a blemish. Only a perfect lamb would do. Then that lamb had to be killed. But not any time would do. It had to be killed at a specific time. Look at verse 6. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. The lamb was to be selected on the 10th day of the month. It would be observed and examined for four days before that lamb was to be killed. But it couldn't be killed at just any time of the day. It had to be killed at twilight, which in the Hebrew language literally means between evenings. That was exactly 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The priest would lift back the head of the lamb, cut its throat, and catch the blood in a basin. But the blood didn't stay in the basin very long. Look at verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Verses 12 through 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So you know the story, many of you, but they were to take that blood and paint it over the doorpost of their houses because it would be their protection against God's death angel that would pass through the land. At this point, just keep in mind that this is God's plan. This is God's direction. It was not up for debate or discussion. It is his way or the highway. It is his way or no way. And Israel had to learn that very night, as we have to learn on this very day, when we feel like we have zero options. Here it is. God is not only your best way out, he is your only way out. Royce Royce has one policy when you buy a car from them. And that is the only place in which a Rolls Royce automobile can be repaired in the factory where it was made. God is the only, listen, he is the one who made Israel. God is the one who has made us. And just as God was the only one that could save Israel that night, God is the only one that can save you and I today. When you think you are out of options, you will find in this book God's direction. If you want to find not just the right way out, but the only way out, lesson number one, you have to accept God's 
direction. Lesson number two, apply God's provision. Moses does what he is told. And he goes to his people who are waiting with anticipation for this wonderful plan that God must have for them and the powerful way he is going to deliver them. And Moses repeats what he has been told. This is what the scripture says beginning in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Now, some of you have seen the movies. You know, you've seen this. It is one thing to be told what to do, but it is another thing to do what you are told to do. To accept God's direction, you've got to apply God's provision. It wasn't enough just to take a lamb, slay a lamb, or even pour the blood of a lamb into a bowl. The blood of that lamb had to be applied to the doorpost of the house. Excuse me, i got to have some water. I'm just going to bring... It had to be applied to the doorpost of that house. There would only be one difference between the house of an Israelite and the house of an Egyptian. And that would be, you know what? The application of the blood on the door. Otherwise, the Israelites would suffer the same fate as the Egyptians. They were to obey and do specifically what Moses told them to do. Only blood on the doorpost would save them. A locked door wouldn't save them. Furthermore, God did not say, I will pass over you if you are a religious person or a righteous person or a respectable person. The only thing that would stop the hand of that death angel and would make him pass peaceably over your house would be the blood on the door. He would not be looking for a baptismal certificate or a giving receipt or a reward for good works. He would only be looking for one thing. What was it? Blood on the door. No substitutes were allowed. You could believe in the lamb. You could love the lambs. You could keep lambs as pets. But the only thing that would save your life is if you took the blood of the lamb and applied it to the door of your house. Now, I'm sure that there were a lot of Israelites that didn't really feel like smearing lamb's blood on doorposts of their home. 
I am sure that there were many of them who thought it was just absolutely gross and ridiculous to do so. Well, think about that for a moment. Would you want to do that to your house? I'm sure there weren't any among them that understood why the Lord was doing this. Well, I have an idea. As we'll see in a moment, it was pointing toward a future lamb. One who would permanently pay the debt of our sin and offer freedom and redemption to anyone who was willing to apply God's provision. They just did it. They believed God and they obeyed God. That night when little children would ask their, fam their father why they killed their pet lamb and why he was painting the blood on the doorpost of their house, that dad just simply replied, because God told us to do so and we are obeying God. Isn't that enough? History was made that night. And it was made by people who believed God's man and accepted God's direction. And they obeyed God's plan and applied God's provision. There was no logical <clears throat> reason for them to do what they were told to do except that was what God told them to do. Look at this. You can believe what God says. But it doesn't matter if you don't do what God says. Amen? You can accept God's option as being true, but it won't work unless you apply God's provision and let it work in your life. Last, lesson three. Appreciate God's redemption. What God did on this night was so important that he told the nation of Israel they should never, ever forget it. Look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statue forever, you shall keep it at a feast. Passover marked a new beginning for these Jewish people and bound them together as one nation under God. Now hear this. When God frees a person from the bondage of sin and self, it is not just the beginning of a new day, but the beginning of a new life. And many of us can identify with that who are in this place today. From then until now, every time Jewish believers would hear the word redeem or the word redemption, they would immediately think of Passover. God had delivered them through the blood of the Lamb. You see, the Passover supper, hear this, is not just something they obeyed that night and celebrated that night. It was to be a memorial to that they were to remember forever. That Passover is not just for the Jews. The blood of the Passover lamb was not just imported for the nation of Israel. One of the greatest, listen, Jews who ever lived, a Pharisee, a descendant of Abraham, 
by the name of Paul, spoke about Jesus. He says, For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Who was this Passover lamb? Who did he represent? What does the blood of a lamb signify today? The entire event was simply a picture and a prophecy and a promise of the Redeemer who would bring permanent redemption, Jesus Christ. Think about it. Do you remember how the lamb had to be perfect? Now, next month is the Allen County State Fair. And if you go there and you see the competitions, you know, the animals, but if you look at the lambs, and we have some people in our church who's heavily involved in that, they're kids. But you know, I've never seen a lamb fed, taken care of, and groomed more so better than a human. I mean, I've never seen anything so unbelievable. And right before they go in to show them how they have them up there and how they cut them and how they trim their hair and how they have their legs and how they have their back, I mean, it is phenomenal if you've never seen that before. So the lamb had to be perfect. The lamb had to be observed over a period of time. Every part of that lamb had to be examined to make sure there was no, no blot or blemish. For 30 years, Jesus was observed by family and friends. For three years, he was observed and examined by multitudes, both friends and enemies. Have you ever wondered why the gospel spends so much time on the last week of Jesus? I mean, it seems out of proportion. Jesus ministered for three years, but almost one-third of the gospels are given in just a few days. It is because in those days, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was being examined. They got in line to examine him. The Sadducees examined him. The Pharisees examined him. The Herodians examined him. The civil leaders examined him. Pontius Pilate examined him. And he spoke the truth when he said about Jesus, I find no fault in him. In John 8, 46, Jesus asked this question, Which one of you convicts me of sin? Now, I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't ask my friends that question, much less my enemies, and please don't ask my wife, Lori. <laughs> but Jesus asked the question and hasn't received an answer yet. He was a perfect lamb. Do you remember when the Passover lamb was killed? Between 3 in the afternoon and 6 in the evening. Exactly the time that Jesus Christ was crucified. What was required of both of them? They both had to shed their blood. Do you remember how the blood was applied? Above the door, on both sides of the doorpost. Do you realize what shape that was in? 
the shape of a cross. When that death angel looked at the door of that house, he didn't just see blood on the door, he saw a cross. Listen, when you read this chapter and you study the Passover, you are not just looking into the window of what God did then. You are looking into a mirror of what God is doing today. They were saved by the blood of a lamb, and we are saved by the blood of the lamb. There was peace and joy in a lot of Egypt that night, but not in every home. Look at verse 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. You see, in Israel, not one home was attacked. In Egypt, not one home was spared. The difference was the blood on the door. There's a reason. Why the Bible speaks so much about the blood. First of all, God connects sin and blood to show that sin results in death. Secondly, God is sickened by the sight of sin, just like the sight of blood sickens a lot of people. God connects the two of them so we will know exactly how he feels. Even the Lord's Supper itself, which we're going to observe here in just a moment, which is our Passover, reminds us that with God there is always an option, but His way out, which is the only way out, is paved with His blood. I read about a man that served in the United States Navy. Many times he had the late night watch on the station where he would stand at the bridge, which is where the ship is controlled and steered. At night, no white lights are allowed on the bridge because it would hinder the person on watch from being able to see other ships or obstacles which would put the ship in harm's way. All the lights and flashlights would have a red filter over the lens so it would maximize their night vision. This man said he could read any document he received as long as it was not written in red ink or a red felt tilt pen. If it was written in red, the red light would blend with the ink and the message would become completely invisible. Now hear this, every single one of us was born with sin over the doorpost of our heart. But once we trust Jesus Christ and place our faith in him and we allow him to put his blood over our heart, our sins completely disappear. Aren't you thankful? When God looks at your heart, he sees one of two things. Either your sins or Jesus' blood. 
the only way out of this world to eternal life is through the blood of God's Lamb. There is only one option to get to heaven, people. That's through Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple Podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.